they applauded. Uh, I think they applauded for Dave Ward more last week. Still, it's nice to hear it. Wouldn't it be awful if they didn't applaud? Everyone has an inner conversation going on in their heads all the time. You've got one going on in your head right now, don't you? Some of you are thinking, I can catch some sleep. Some are thinking, he's right. I do have this inner voice all the time speaking to me. And some, some of you are thinking, I've got a test at 11.15 and I'm not ready. And here I am sitting in chapel. All of us have a conversation going on in our heads all the time. Some call it an inner voice. Some call it running conversation. Some call it self-talk. And some just call it talking to ourselves. This was apparently first studied by a Russian psychologist named uh, Lev Vygotsky back in the 1920s when he studied children and their developmental processes. And he recognized that as children learned to talk to others, they began to talk to themselves, first out loud, and then internally, began to speak to themselves in their heads. And uh, you and I sometimes apparently revert to childlike stages, right? I mean, sometimes we move that inner, internal conversation outside and start talking to ourselves aloud again. Well, this morning I'm concerned not about the fact that we're talking to ourselves all the time, and it may never stop, it may go on in our dreams as we're sleeping. Not concerned about that. What I'm concerned is the ultimate tone and source of the conversation in our heads. That internal conversation can determine how we receive communication from others, how we think about others, how we talk to others. It can influence our character and so ultimately it can influence our lives. If a person is anxious and fearful, that inner conversation will prompt them to think negative thoughts, life-sapping thoughts discouraging them and moving them perhaps to ignore everything that is right and good and true in their lives and in the lives of others. If a person is upbeat and hopeful and that conversation is flowing along those lines, they may be open and optimistic, looking for new challenges and eager to meet new people, generous to everybody they encounter. And oddly enough, it's possible for us to be conflicted to think that we are generally optimistic and open and upbeat and yet at times have the most poisonous kind of destructive thoughts toward ourselves and others. That inner conversation I'm convinced is killing some of us. It's poisoning relationships. One of the greatest challenges for some of us, may be to turn away from critical, anxiety-based, life-stealing speech and turning towards charitable, life-filled, hope-filled, hope-enhancing conversation themes in this inner conversation. I believe that in John 16, Jesus invites us into a sustained conversation with the Holy Spirit. 
Denominations differ over what they think the Holy Spirit does, or at least denominations emphasize perhaps one or two works of the Holy Spirit. Some say the Holy Spirit is given to us to cleanse us from sin. Others say, yeah, but the main thing is that he empowers us for service. Other denominations say, no, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't do miracles in his name, and that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. All of those things are true. I'm suggesting it seems to me that in John 16, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit wants to join that conversation, that thread of thought in our heads. This is Bible Monday. Last week, Dr. Ward talked to us about John chapter 15, and he said that Jesus urges us to connect to him, the true vine, and that as we remain in him, the true vine, he will produce in us a fruitful life. No one wants to live an unfruitful life. This is a very attractive offer in John chapter 15. He's going to give us an abundant life. Well, Passion Week is very close to us. And as we're moving through the Gospel of John, we're moving ever closer to passion events. So let me just tell you what's happening here. A little peek ahead, spoiler alert. In John chapter 18, Jesus is arrested. John 19, he is crucified. Chapter 20, he is resurrected from the dead. And in these chapters leading up to those passion events, Jesus is preparing the disciples to do life the way you and I do life now. In the absence of the physical Jesus, but in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to suggest an idea that I'm still working into my life. This really, believe it or not, is is a new thought for me. That in John 15, Jesus calls us to connect to him and remain in him. And that in chapter 16, he calls us to as a part of that connection, enter into a sustained conversation with the Holy Spirit. And that as we do, he will teach us truths about Jesus and about God the Father and even about ourselves, truths that we would not know otherwise. The result of knowing God in this way can be that we do life out of a deeper spirit of peace and purpose Instead of the way some of us, some of us are living now, deep anxiety and doubt and self-condemnation and angst and anxiety. So I want to talk to you about knowing God and doing life. Let me give you a brief tour of John chapter 16. The first four verses probably belong with chapter 15. Uh, Jesus has been preparing the disciples for his departure and he's been telling them, Uh, When I go away, they're going to hate you just the way they hated me. And furthermore, they will kick you out of the synagogue and they will even kill you thinking they're doing God a favor. He's letting them know this is what's coming. And then in these first four verses, he tells them twice why he's telling them these things. Why do I tell you all these negative things? Number one, in verse one, to keep you from going astray. If you know these things are coming, you'll know that They didn't sneak up on us. I knew they were coming. You're strong enough for it by the power of the Spirit. Verse 4, I'm telling you these things so that you won't go astray. You won't be so shocked by being kicked out of the synagogue or hated or facing death that you'd decide to recant and stop following me. So Jesus is preparing them. Think of this. 
He's preparing them for a lifetime of giving their best and getting in return hatred and persecution and martyrdom. Christian tradition fairly consistently says that all the disciples, all the disciples were martyred for their faith, martyred for following Jesus, never needed a retirement plan, served Jesus all their lives and then were put to death, all except John, the author of this gospel. And isn't there something in us that rises up and says, I want my life to count for something like this. I would love to give my life, to invest my life in a noble cause, an eternal cause, even if it means that I die at the hand of some angry person rather than live my life for a selfish cause. I think that what Jesus is offering is truly an abundant, fruitful, meaningful life. Verse 7, chapter 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I go away. If I don't go away, the counselor will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. The counselor is the Holy Spirit, of course, you know that. Be interesting to study the various names of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We won't do that today, but uh, you can do that sometime. But I just want to point out that Um, I'm using the New International Version this morning, and the translators have decided that the Greek word here, parakletos, ought to be translated counselor. It could be translated other ways, the one who comes alongside to help. Some translate this advocate or comforter, but uh, the New International Version says counselor, and maybe it's in a legal sense because just a few verses later, verses 8 through 11, it says that Jesus will convict the world on three counts, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So here's the picture. Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, here's what's going to happen when I'm gone. They will hate you like they hated me. They will kick you out of the synagogue and they will kill you. But it's all right. Justice will be done. I will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, Verse 12 is where it seems clearest to me that he's inviting us into a sustained conversation with the Spirit. Listen to verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So Jesus says the conversation isn't over. I've still got stuff you need to know. Verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. So this is what I'm calling a sustained conversation. Jesus starts the conversation with the disciples, and then he says, I'm sending my spirit back to continue talking to you about these things. And I think, I think he wants to join the continual conversation in our head and change the tone and character so that it becomes life-affirming, life-enhancing, abundant life-producing instead of the killing, maiming, life-depressing stream that some of us are hearing in our heads right now, even as I speak. John 16, 24 is a passage that we're familiar with. It says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. 
Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. We like that and sometimes we try it out and often we're disappointed. I asked God for a million dollars and I didn't get it. What's the deal? I asked God to help me win the lottery and he didn't help me win the lottery. Why not? Says if I ask, we'll receive. Well, of course, it's in the context of living life out of this continual conversation from, with the Holy Spirit. Because if you've been drinking the water that the Holy Spirit gives, nourishing your soul, not only will you be quenched in your deepest spiritual thirst, but your desires will change. And you'll begin to ask God for what God wants to give. Verse 33, last verse of the chapter. I've skipped over a bunch, I know that. If you want to talk about it, come talk with me. Be glad to talk with you about it. But I don't think it's pertinent for the main thing I want to say to you. So verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know the saying, everything will be all right in the end? If it's not all right, it's not the end. I don't know who said it first, but I like that saying, and I think it fits the ministry of Jesus Christ. If in your life you're walking as a Christian and everything is not all right, it's not the end. He's going to make it all right. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble, but I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Now, that's a quick review of John chapter 16, and I've been talking about this sustained conversation with the Spirit. I want to distinguish it from something else that hopefully we experience at certain times in life. I want to distinguish it from what many call getting a word from God or um, uh, getting a call from God, perhaps, or hearing a word from the Lord. As I'm defining this term, a word from God, this morning, I mean a brief often surprising, sometimes ambiguous thought that impresses us, convinces us that it's divine communication and it has the power to change the course of our lives. Ever had one of those? Many of you have. When I was a bit younger than you, uh, on the last night of a camp meeting, youth camp, out at Fairmount Camp, it's about 10 miles from here, I am convinced to this day, and you cannot convince me otherwise. I am convinced that God spoke to me unexpectedly, without warning. It was, a star, it was a starry, cloudless night, and I was looking at the stars, standing around a campfire with other campfires, last night of the youth camp, and God intruded into my thoughts and said, David, what are you laughing at? I want you to be a preacher too. I'd just been laughing at the last kid who'd testified. The kid, I didn't know who he was, but I didn't think he was preacher material, like I'm the judge. And I thought to myself, him? Ha, ha, ha. And that's when I heard God say, what are you laughing at, sucker? I want, I want you to be a preacher too. And I uh, quit laughing. And with some confirmatory experiences, um, uh, double a confirmation of God's will. That experience, that word from God has absolutely shaped my life and directed my life to this day. I became a preacher, did it for 32 years in local churches, and then I've been here 12 years teaching others to be preachers and, and pastors as well. That's a pretty clear 
word from God. That's not what I'm talking about in terms of this daily conversation. Let me give you a quick example of a less clear word, a, a, a more enigmatic, ambis- uh, am, ambiguous word from the Lord caused my wife and I to quit our jobs here in Marion and rent our house out and move to Russia for a year where she worked in a preute, a halfway house, for children uh, on the way to orphanages, left their homes on the way to the orphanage. They'd go to the preute for a while. She worked there. I taught at a little Bible college the Wesleyan Church owned for a time in the city of Vladimir, Russia, and trained people there. But the word from God in this case was nothing so clear as, David, what are you laughing at? It was a mathematical ratio, 10 to 350,000. That's it. I saw this sort of in the sky, 10 to 350,000, and knew instantly what it meant. It meant that there were 10 evangelical churches in the city where I was living and and in the city where I was visiting at that time, and that there were 350,000 Russians, 350,000 Russian souls, 35,000 people per evangelical church. And where I was living in the States at the time, there were 600 churches for 600,000 people. One church for every thousand people. Easily handle the load. And it felt like in that county where I lived that the gospel rained down from the heavens and rolled off the roofs of our churches into the eaves and down the gutters and out to sea. And when I heard that formula, I I also heard a question that said, are you content with that? My wife and I spent a year in Russia. So, side note... I'm working on a trip back to Russia this summer, roughly the dates are July 5 through 25, something like that. It's been approved by risk management here at the university, so it's okay for you to go. It's not a very big trip. We only, they only want six to eight people. This is for the Wesleyan Church in Vladimir, Russia, but if you're interested in knowing more about that, email me. So these are two words from God, one clear and one more ambiguous, but this morning I'm talking about a different level of communication, a daily kind of a conversation, maybe the kind of conversation you have with your best friends every time you see them and every time you meet them. I confess that I've lived most of my life in the power of life-transforming words from God periodically along the way. Now, I read the Bible. I've read through the Bible for years. Uh, I mean, just for years. Right now, I'm reading slowly. I'm reading one book slowly. Been in one book since January 1st, and I'm already up to chapter 4. I'm reading slow. So I'm, t- I'm saturating myself in the Word, but I don't intentionally enter into a conversation with the Holy Spirit every day. Let me tell you some ways that we can invite the Holy Spirit uh, to join our constant conversation, our inner speech, and uh, to raise the bar in our hearts and lives. Number one is become aware of the conversation. You're probably already aware of this tendency of people to talk to themselves all day long. But I'm suggesting that you intentionally become aware of the conversation and that you um, assess it. What's the tone of your conversation? Is it, um, is it essentially positive? Is it life-enhancing? Is it uh, encouraging? Or is it negative? Are you usually 
talking down about yourself. Number two, believe that the Holy Spirit wants to be in this continual relationship with you, talking to you, helping you to know God so that you can do life. Number three, this is negative, stop feeding the rats in your mind. Stop listening to the lies about yourself and others. Do you hear those lies? Um, For some of us, the inner conversation is all about our limitations and about how others are much better than than we are. Um, I have good news for you. It's been good news for me for a long time. God wants you because of who you are, not because um, you are some sort of second prize. God loves you for who you are right now and he wants to enter into a deep relationship with you and he doesn't look at you and say, I sure wish he was taller or smarter or richer or more articulate. He says, I love this person just the way they are. So stop feeding the negative rats in your mind. Now get ready, I'm gonna talk about sex. Was that a little abrupt? Um, So the reason I need to give you a couple of paragraphs about the SEX subject is because I think, I think, and it's not just your age, I think it's every age, at least for guys, I don't think it's that way for girls, maybe I'm dead wrong about this, but uh, uh, Arterburn and Stoker talk about our sumo sex drive. You know Arterburn and Stoker? They've written a series of books that uh, one of them is Every Young Man's Battle. Um, There's Every Man's Battle, Every Woman's Battle, and so forth. I recommend those books to you. But um, one of the battles that we face if if our inner conversation is negative is that it may be dragging us into the pits of lust and unchristian, uncaring attitudes towards one another. We objectify one another. So here's the thing that I want to pull out from Arterburn and Stoker. Sometimes, isn't this true, guys? Sometimes we hear the purity pitch and we say, I'm going to take the pledge. And then a week later, we tumble again and we do this over and over again and we get to the place where we say, it's just impossible for me. I must have a sumo sex drive that can't be controlled. Arterburn and Stoker say that um, uh, there's a good chance that you may be battling a sex drive on steroids instead of a normal sex drive meaning you've been pumping stuff into your sex thoughts that don't belong there. The stuff you can listen to and see in porn magazines or on the internet or in cable TV, if you're watching that stuff, if you're feeding your mind with that stuff, that's why you have a sumo sex drive that won't subject itself to the power of the Holy Spirit the way you think it should. So stop feeding yourself that sexual steroid stuff and call out to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me to have pure thoughts. Let me give you some positive stuff. Talk to yourself the way you talk to your heroes. One guy says, nobody cusses out their heroes or tells them the worst thing they ever did in their lives or how bad their performance was. They're always respectful. Talk to yourself the way you talk to your heroes. You're worth it. Create a an atmosphere for conversation with the Holy Spirit. Spray some spiritual Febreze in your heart. Get rid of the stink. You can do that by following Philippians chapter four where Paul says, 
whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. I know a guy who began to suspect that his wife was being unfaithful to him. She wasn't, but he suspected her of this. And he could imagine all kinds of situations where she was cheating on him. One way he was helped was to come to Philippians chapter 4 and say, and put it to the test in his mind, am I thinking a true thought? Is this noble? Is this right? Is this pure? He put those thoughts out of his mind and began recognizing his wife for the loyal person that she was. Next thing you can do is to break the habit pattern now. When you find yourself falling into these negative, anxiety-based thoughts, you can say to yourself, stop it. Stop thinking. Sometimes I say peanut butter just to say something that interrupts the thought pattern. Interrupt the thought pattern and then start thinking the positive stuff that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. Last thing, last thing. Do this for three weeks. So do this this week. Do it all through spring break. Do it the week after. If you are faithful to establish these kind of thought patterns in your life, uh, experts say it takes three weeks to establish a pattern. You can create a place where the Holy Spirit can come and speak to you on a daily basis. Life will be more abundant. He'll teach you truths about God and the Spirit and the Son that you can't learn any other way. Everybody has this conversation going on inside their heads. It's going on inside your head right now. Wouldn't you like the Holy Spirit to influence yours and give you life? We're going to stand. Team is going to sing and lead us in singing. Would you stand with me? And as they lead us in song, if this is your desire, I want to set a new tone for a new conversation in my heart and life. You tell the Lord what you want to do. If you want to talk about this, let me know. You do business with God and ask him to set the stage for you. Let's sing together.